if you talk to someone from BC or Ontario, you know, the first thing they'll say about Alberta is, well, it's oil, it's volatile. You know, it's, it can, the markets can crash yeah. go up and down, which is actually, I've come to believe that in the last year, because that's true. I mean, I went through, you know, areas in my portfolio in, you know, 2017, where I had like, you know, 20% vacancy, my rents dropped 200 bucks. I was giving like massive incentives and you guys didn't experience that in Ontario, right? So, I mean, the short answer to your question is, I mean, I invested in the prairies because really that was all I knew. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate Investors, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we have Corey Spurley on the show today, all the way from Kelowna, BC. Uh, really excited to have you on the show today. And Corey, for those of you who don't know him, is a multifamily expert. He does some coaching. He runs some awesome events. He has his own podcast. But the reason we brought him on the show today was really selfishly so we could ask him a lot of questions about multifamily investing, especially in the areas that he invests, which are more of the West Coast, um, including parts of Alberta, the prairies. Um, and I know there's so many Ontario investors who listen to our show. Ontario is kind of a tricky market right now, and everybody's looking to learn more about investing opportunities in other parts of Canada. So I think Corey will bring a really awesome perspective to get to that. And of course, you know, we love multifamily. So he definitely has uh, a lot to share about that. So uh, Corey, thank you for being on the show. Uh, why don't you give us a quick intro about yourself? Uh, maybe let us know a little bit about how you got started in real estate investing and, um, you know, what you do now. And thanks, Khadija, for the very, uh, very welcoming intro. Thanks, Jose, for for offering to have me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Always love talking to people from Ontario. So yeah, a quick bio on myself. Um, I've been at real estate now for 23 years. This is my 23rd year. So I started, you know, back in 2000 when interest rates were eight percent. So you know what's happening today isn't shocking for me. We're kind of getting back to normal. But um, I, I took a very slow and methodical approach to real estate. I started very slowly. Um, you know, I, I worked as a tradesman, so I, I worked shift work. You know, I worked overseas. I worked in the north, so I had you know I had time to educate myself and learn how to invest. And it wasn't really until probably around 2005 that I really started to get into it. I became a member of Rain, you know, the Real Estate Investment Network. Yeah. But there wasn't a lot of really good mentorships. In fact, there was practically none. It was really only Rain back then. So I really liked multifamily because I was living overseas at the time and I wanted to invest passively. And I was a landlord, like remote landlord, and it was just a nightmare. Like I was ready to sell my properties. I wanted to give it up forever. And then I, I found a gentleman um, living in Alberta and you know, I learned about multifamily and I, I did a passive deal and it turned out really well. And I was just kind of hooked from there. And starting in 2008, I started buying my own portfolio. 
And now I've, I've kind of bought about a building a year. So now I'm on my 11th building and I think I've done seven joint ventures and the rest were either self-capitalized or capitalized with like one or two other partners. So it's been a very interesting journey. <laughs> no, absolutely. That's, that's amazing. 22 years. I mean, I don't know too many people that have been doing it for this long, at least in, 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 on our podcast. Um, so tell us a little bit about why you chose to invest in the Perrys um, as opposed to BC where you are from now. Yeah, I mean, so a little bit of background on myself. I, I've, lived, I've lived in British Columbia since 2014, so about eight years. I'm predominantly from the prairies. I'm born and raised. I mean, I grew up in a farming community of 2,500 people. Okay. My first apartment building was in that town, you know? So it was funny because I tried to get financing for that building and all the banks are like, man, that's so risky. I, we'll never invest in a small town. And for me, that was my home. It's like, well, this is the least risky thing that, that I know, right? Because this is where I'm from. And, you know, as, as my reach kind of expanded, you know, I learned about areas like BC. If you talk to someone from BC or Ontario, you know, the first thing they'll say about Alberta is, well, it's oil, it's volatile. You know, it's, it can, the markets can crash yeah. go up and down, which is actually, I've come to believe that in the last year, because that's true. I mean, I went through, you know, areas in my portfolio in, you know, 2017, where I had like, you know, 20% vacancy, my rents dropped 200 bucks. I was giving like massive incentives. And you guys didn't experience that in Ontario, right? So, I mean, the short answer to your question is, I mean, I invested in the prairies because really that was all I knew at the time. And I wanted to invest close to home. And I kind of believe if you're starting up a niche, that's kind of what you should do to start with. I mean, it's okay to branch out later, but, you know, I always say you should start close to home. Nice. Yeah, so, you know, um, so when you got started, you know, um, I'm sure you didn't have too much capital to begin with. What was your first deal look like? Yeah, you're right. I mean, capital was really skinny. I mean, like my, I've had a very similar situation to yourself. I mean, I mean, obviously you're in a better situation than I was at the time, but I had three young children. You know, I was working a full-time job. I luckily moved to Edmonton in 2005. Now, it's one of the only times where we had a huge bump in property value. So, I mean, my house went from 180 to 400,000 in, in a year, right? Which is kind of what's happened in Ontario and BC. But in Alberta, I mean, housing prices are still lower than they were in 2007 in a lot of areas, right? So, I went and got a HELOC, used that to fund my first deal, which was a value add 12 suite building in Saskatchewan, Unity Saskatchewan. I paid 29,000 a door. It was wow. completely run down, like everything. But we're talking less than 30 a door, yeah. right? So <laughs> I got a one-year interest-only loan from the bank and I borrowed, I scraped together as much as I could from family and friends, you know, basically levered myself to the hilt, working a full-time job. I just had my second child and I was trying to do this all from like 400 kilometers away. And I don't know what I was thinking, but it turned out, right? We managed to burr the project. We managed to fill the units. We managed to get the rents up, you know, from 400 bucks to 700 bucks. We refinanced, got like all of our cash and then some, and then a year later we sold the building. So, you know, at that point I was, I was hooked. I realized I could do this. And then I basically replicated the deal in Edmonton. And once I did it twice with my own money, I felt like I was comfortable enough to, to take on joint ventures and, you know, go that route. 
Yeah, for sure. So um, over the course of the years, has your strategy been to purchase them, to stabilize them and sell them? Or has it been to grow a portfolio? What are you currently doing? Yeah, Kitty, it's a great question. And that's, and that's been the trick. I mean, you know, as a multifamily investor or singles, I mean, one of the disadvantages of doing a joint venture is there's an end date, right? There's a divorce. There's going to be a capital event. I mean, you're most likely going to sell the property. It's really hard to buy a building where you have six or seven partners and everyone wants to stay in for like 30 years. Yeah. I mean, people's life changes. They, you know, their kids go to school. So ultimately, I wanted assets that I could just keep myself forever because, I mean, as you know, you don't really start making money on a multi till you hit, you know, year five, six, and seven. The first year you're stabilizing it, it's pretty tough going, especially if you do a burr project. Yeah. Um, none, of my, none of my projects were burrs until recently. I, you know, I usually would just do a five-year buy and hold, conventional financing. I never went CMHC. 25% down, my deals were cookie cutter because I didn't have to get my um, investors to sign guarantees. So mm-hmm. it was very easy to replicate those deals. But you know, around 2019, you know, I'd realized I'd sold some of them off and I'm looking at my portfolio and realizing, you know, in a few years, I'm not going to have any of these assets left. And it's like, all of this work was, it wasn't for naught. I mean, my investors made good returns, but yeah. I wanted stuff long-term. So that's why, you know, at the Leduc deal that I mentioned at the beginning here, that was a burr. I just did with a partner, right? And now I've done a couple deals like that where I actually have my own assets, but at the same time, I want to keep growing. I want to keep keep acquiring assets with partners as well. So it's kind of a fine balance, but ultimately it's about generational wealth. And you know, the longer you hold onto the properties, the better. Because as you can see, we can have some pretty dramatic market swings. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's just <clears throat> piggybacking onto that. Talk to us about that and how uh, investors mitigate their risk out in certain markets in the West Coast. Um, I, I think that, especially in Ontario, like you said previously, uh, investors haven't faced that. We have not faced rent swings. We have not faced massive... Uh, we have had some corrections recently, but I wouldn't say that they're um, cyclical changes in the market um, yeah, as I, much as they are in certain West Coast markets. Because I know that, you know, personally, even uh, looking at Edmonton, for example, or any other part of uh, the prairie, I'm I'm a little bit afraid of the boom and bust, right? And and maybe our listeners as well is the those cycles that are, you know, so perhaps educate us on you know, that it's not just an oil-based economy there. They are, it's, it's kind of getting more and more diverse. Things have, are starting to have changed and, and you know, the uh, we may not face that, those same types of busts now. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you have very low vacancy in Ontario. I mean, you turn over a unit, you don't, you can put a warm body in without doing anything with a massive rent increase, right? Yeah. I mean, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, you do that, you have to renovate. And you may be rented out for less. Like that's been the market for the last eight years. But I mean, to your point, a lot of investors got in trouble from out of province. They bought in 2014, which was the peak of the market. You know, they overpaid a little bit, which was, wasn't that much, like 125 a door at the time, right? But, you know, they levered up, you know, big mortgages and then the rents fell. You know, your rents went down, you had to give incentives. Your mortgage term came up and you had to pay down equity to the bank or sell the property. So I saw that happen to a lot of investors when they over leveraged. So what I do now is I have a very healthy reserve fund. So I usually have around, you know, five to 7% of the purchase price in reserves. And that's after I do the burr. Okay. So if it's a, if it's a burr project, then it's, 
you know, even more, even more conservative. But to mitigate those risks also, I'm, a, I'm avoiding certain areas. Like I can freely admit that I got lucky, very lucky in a couple of my properties that I managed to sell them into strong markets. And I probably shouldn't have made any money. But now I'm buying in you know, more strategic locations. Like I don't like the inner city of Edmonton, for example, if we're speaking about Edmonton. Yeah. I prefer the surrounding areas like Leduc, Fort Saskatchewan, Spruce Grove. They have a very stronger employment. Um, you know, there's, there's better job opportunities. You get blue collar workers, but they mostly drive and there's not as much turnover. What's been a big killer for multifamily investors in Edmonton has been the turnover and the fact that our expenses have gone up relentlessly, like carbon taxes, right? Property taxes, insurance. And we've been unable to raise our rents because of the competitive rental market. Now, all that is changing because we're at the end of a 10-year cycle. So if you ask anybody who's been in Alberta a long time, it goes in about 10-year cycles. So right now we're kind of at the end of what was like the 90s when Boardwalk and Main Street really started to get aggressive in buying buildings. The only difference right now is we've had this massive interest rate shock. But I think the increase in rents are going to more than outpace the, the borrowing costs. Because right now, honestly, like in my portfolio, our rents are still lower than they were in 2014. So you got to go back almost nine years. So we're at the very tail end and we're already going up. Um, I just gave rent increases to what my building in Beaumont, 225 bucks a unit to all the units. Now that's a massive jump wow. in Alberta. I know in Ontario, huge, you can yeah. huge anywhere. Yeah. 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 Well, in Ontario, you can do a five or $600 increase. If you have a, a tenant who's been there a long time, you do a cash for keys or something like yes. I can't do that in Alberta, but yeah. So this is just the start. Uh, Calgary, I mean, 60,000 people moved to Calgary last year. Calgary always leaves Edmonton by six to 12 months. The wave is coming north and we're just at the very early phases. So people that are buying into Edmonton in the next 12, 18, 24 months, you're going to do very well regardless of where you buy. But as long as you do it strategic and you do it carefully, I think that we're just at the start of another boom. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Um, Especially because, you know, sometimes uh, you, you, you know, people are always chasing after what's the cheapest property. Um, you know, so I personally was looking at the, the uh, downtown Edmonton myself, but you know, yeah. then realized after talking to a few people that, you know, that's maybe I want to go a little bit more south of that. Um, oh, man. So many people I talked to, they went in and they're on bad advice. You know, they yeah. some realtor or property manager told them to go to, you know, Central McDougal, Queen Mary, and then you end up, you know, you're having high vacancy, high turnover. There's a lot. Of, it's a very rough areas to manage. Yeah, And they always have the highest vacancies and the lowest rents. Now, mm-hmm. when the market is strong, yes, you can do okay there, but very, very, very tough to manage, which is why I avoid those areas altogether. Right, right. Yeah. And how do you feel about the supply and demand out there in general? I mean, um, you guys, especially in Alberta, um, there's very different uh, restrictions in terms of building more uh more multifamily assets. And I mean, in Ontario, part of our supply demand issue is what's causing our everything that's going on here, right? Um, All of it is based on economic fundamentals and the fact that we're getting a lot of in-migration and that uh, we don't have enough housing, there's no land. um, And not just that, there's lots of government intervention that's preventing uh, political things, right? That are causing our supply to diminish. Uh, How do you feel about that in, in your climate? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty much very similar to what you said across the country. Um, I, know in, I know in Ontario, it's especially aspirated because you have a massive scarcity 
of, of places to live, right? Whether it's to buy or to rent and government policies have actually made it worse, right? They've created a worse scarcity. And, you know, in Alberta is no exception. I mean, the only difference is, you know, we had very high vacancy. I mean, Edmonton is still 7%. I think it's dropped to 5% um, just from the, you know, from the cycling market. A lot of migration is pushing back in. So they're addressing that. There is some purpose-built rentals coming up. The biggest thing that really hurt Edmonton was the, the condo conversion craze. <laughs> I'll say that back in you know, 2006, 2007, a multifamily building sold for around 60000 a door. Okay, All of a sudden, you could convert these old walk-ups to condos and sell them off to like, uh, 130, 140 a door. So you know, half the buildings in Edmonton were instantly converted to condos. So the price for a building just went from 60 to 150 a door. And then that whole thing imploded, right? Now these condos are getting put back together. So that really put a huge shock in the multifamily supply. Um, there's a lot of, you know, good single family supply too. I know there's a lot of purpose-built um, sixplexes and eightplexes. Um, garage suites are becoming more popular. But I think Edmonton's going to have the same problem that you guys are having out there. I, I think more people are going to move than they can build which is another reason why I like to invest in, in older multifamily because you know, I have a friend who just bought a, a new sixplex or an eightplex and I think the build cost was 250 a door plus. I can still buy a multi in Edmonton for 100 to 120, you know, which is a third of the price of Ontario essentially, or at least half yes. the price. Yeah. And I could go nuts and make that thing the nicest building and I'm still not gonna spend anywhere close to replacement cost, right? Yeah. So. That's Absolutely. kind of how I feel about it. So, so your tell us a little bit about your specific strategy. You know, are you looking for like heavier value add deals um, with with um, you know big capex budget going in? Uh, what a, what a, does a typical deal look like? Yeah, and even just like unit mix and size of building, is there a specific sweet spot that you like? Yeah, so I I, I like anywhere from. You know, I'm a little bit bigger now, so probably anywhere from 18 to 40 suites is kind of the sweet spot. Any more than 40, you're up against really sophisticated investors or higher, you know, higher institutional players. The and the price for door actually goes up, mm-hmm. right? So, okay. and less than 18, then you're, you don't really have economies for scale. It's tough to get a property manager, you know, et cetera. You know, I obviously like, you know, more two and three bedroom units. The one that we're, we're buying in Fort Saskatchewan right now is an 18 unit. But it's premium. I mean, we have super large units, large two-bedroom units. The market there, it's in the industrial heartland where there's you know a bunch of oil and gas projects. Um, you know, the, the chemical plant there is doubling in size. There's massive jobs coming there. So those those are the buildings that I like. Like I will take on a value add, a building that is in rough shape. But today, doing that is very tough because of the interim is the short-term borrowing costs are astronomically high. So I'll give you an example, like in Leduc, the burr we did there, we paid 86 a door, but interim financing, you know, was only 7% at the time to do a bridge loan. So we were able to refinance CMHC a year later. And, you know, we hit the 130 a door mark when we got our rents up, you know, a year later, but our interim costs weren't that bad. Now that same strategy would be incredibly difficult. I mean, I'd have to get that same building today for like 60 a door for that strategy to make sense. So my, my go-to is buy and hold. I'd rather buy something that I can put a, a five-year debt on immediately, you know, and then I, then I know. But those buildings are very hard to find, as you know. I mean, vendor expectations, they want, <laughs> everyone wants last year's prices, right? Everybody wants yeah. the high value. And, you know, when I become the seller, I'm, I'm kind of like that too, right? I don't want to give up my asset. 
So nowadays we're looking at a lot more creative strategies um, because of the high borrowing costs. The biggest thing that's changed is the loan to value. Like a year ago, I could easily get 80%. Now it's more like 60% because you're borrowing at 4% CMHC versus 2%, right? The cap rates have stayed the same, but it's changed dramatically the amount you can borrow. So unless you get the seller to take less money, you got to go creative. So you, you can say, well, can you carry a mortgage, do an, an agreement for sale, vendor financing? And you know that's what Quentin D'Souza does you know, in Ontario. I'm not sure if you know Quentin or not. Yes, yes. Um, BTBs, so yeah. That, yeah. So strategies like that, that's more of what I'm looking at today. But really, it's just about the, now it's more about the quality of the building. You know, I used to just buy anything I could get my hands on as cheaply as I can. But as you alluded to, you know, cheaper is not necessarily better. I prefer to buy buildings now they're in better areas and better condition, even if I have to pay a little bit more. Because uh, yes. I believe in um, upside. Yeah. You know, if you have a crappy building beside a, a good one, you know, five years later, the good one is going to dramatically outperform the crappy one, even though you're still going to make money on the crappy one. Yeah. You know what I mean? So absolutely. Just no, I'm in, in, and you know what? I think the older you get, the less you don't want to deal with the um, those bigger issues, right? I mean, you nailed it. That's just, <laughs> just, just with us. I mean, I, uh, you know, we tend to buy something that is, is profitable, but at the same time with less risk. There's a balance between There's a balance, profit right? and hassle. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The PETA factor, pain in the ass factor, right? Exactly. <laughs> pain in the ass factor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, just talking to that, people underestimate the cost associated with bad units and bad tenants. I mean, on, on multiple levels, on a financial level, on a stress level, um, and just on an overall, you know, does this investment make sense level, right? Like it's- Oh, one, it's, one bad tenant can cost you 30,000 bucks or more, right? hundred <laughs> percent. And just, you know, the damage to property, uh, yeah. damage to- Delinquency. Delinquency. Yeah. Like it's just, um, and, and then again, like just all of the nuances of having to deal with um, legal and, uh, you know, paralegals and courts and all of that. Like you got to, this is all one ecosystem, right? You got to factor in all these different things when you're making your decision. Well, especially in Ontario, where I've heard of, if, if one of your tenants just suddenly stops paying rent, it can take you up to a year to get them out. It's 100% like, that true. That just blows my mind. Yeah. In, in my entire that. investing career, this is, the first, this is the first time this has happened to me for this long. So I have one tenant right now. It's a basement unit, luckily, um, not a super high rent, but still, I mean, uh, you know, I think they're paying mid, mid thousands. Um, and uh, she stopped paying rent last year year and we just had a court date right now on January 30th um and just even though she didn't show up in court and we 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 basically got the order for them to write the order could take another 2 months just to it's write insane. the order huh. and then from the time they write that order to get sheriff could take another month so like Yikes. if you're looking at this from like tail to tail it's unreal. Like it's actually, it. I, I, we, I have nothing to do but laugh now. Right? It's just like, okay, like uh, I follow up with the legal all the time. Like, did you get the order yet? He's like, oh, this, this, this particular adjudicator is, she's super fast. You should have it in eight weeks. Like, oh, okay. That really disincentivize people from <laughs> wanting to be landlords in Ontario, and it's, it's the like, same absolutely. in British Columbia. And that's 100%. that's exasperating the scarcity of rental units because the the common misconception the government likes to say we supply affordable housing, they don't. It's entrepreneurs like you and I that are the supplying the housing. 
and this yeah. is how they treat us. So tell us in <laughs> contrast what yeah. the process looks like in Alberta and Saskatchewan. It's, it's very similar. It's very easy compared to that. Um, like Saskatchewan, I love in particular because you can raise rents every six months with six months notice. So, I mean, if push comes to shove, you can always just economically evict somebody. Yeah. You can just triple the rent. I mean, but then you end up on the news, right? And nobody yeah. wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> I had one tenant. I had one tenant in Saskatoon. You know, he was just a nuisance. Took a while to get in. And then he totally vandalized the property on his way out. I mean, he cut all the copper. He disconnected the sink and turned the water on and walked out of the building. Right. So oh, he caused about 30 God. grand worth of damage. It happens every now and again. Right. It's, <laughs> thankfully, it's very rare. It was a tenant that I inherited when I bought the building. But for non-payment of rent, you know, it's a it's a non-issue in in the prairies. I mean, you give them the thirty days notice, they're out. The sheriff goes out and just it's it's a done deal. Right. Um, I mean, our rents aren't super high there, and, and most of the time there's there's affordable programs. It's usually, you know, when that comes when that happens, there's usually a good reason for it. But thankfully, it's not very often. Yeah. A couple of other things I wanted to <clears throat> sort of touch on is your strategy for raising capital. Um, I know you mentioned um, you are, it's primarily like a joint venture structure is how you typically do it. So you yep. would have fewer partners. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming, you know, there's been a lot of uh, repeat investors over the many years. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, now I'm at the point where, you know, I haven't done a, a joint venture deal where I've raised capital for a few years. So we just had a webinar on January 19th for this Fort Saskatchewan. And we only needed 750,000. I think we raised 2 million on the call, right? So now, now I'm like, man, so what do we do? Do I, now do I look at the LPGP route? Maybe, should, maybe we should raise capital first and start a fund. But I always love my strategy best of just kind of cherry picking properties, you know, taking my time. I analyze a lot of properties. I, I make a lot of offers. I know how to evaluate buildings very accurately for what I'd be willing to pay for them. What is what I would call market value. And I just kind of sit back and wait for the right deal. Now, yes, raising capital at the beginning, me, my first few partners, my, my parents, my brother, and a close coworker, you know, my circle was very small at the beginning. Yeah. And after that, it branches out, like you said. So I have one repeat investor. I think he's in five deals. And then, then it was, then his brother invested, then his parents invested, right? And then it kind of branched out from there. But now I'm at a point where, you know, I'm starting to get known because people are watching these podcasts and, hey, you know, who is this guy? I want to I want to invest. So I'm getting a lot of more, you know, more attention from outside of province. And so I, I get people to fill out letters of intent. You know, I, I try to I try to get the $150,000 minimum mark, you know, for securities purposes, you know, for accredited investment. We have exemptions for $150,000. Or, you know, as you know, it's or close um, family or business associates. And this is something that investors really have to watch nowadays because, you know, there's been too many of these um, syndications fall apart. A lot of scams, you'll see it on the news a lot. Yeah. And securities is, is clamping down a lot more. And I, I expect that to accelerate in the next few years. Absolutely. So I, I really want to stay on the right side of that, which is not something that I, I actively advertise that I'm raising capital. Because, I mean, you can go onto Facebook and you see these on all these groups, right? And it's like, man, like, do you realize what you're doing is not legal? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you really got to be careful. Absolutely. But raising capital hasn't really been an issue for me. I've always had enough uh, enough interest in my deals. But you know, now I'm at the point like I'm not quite at you guys. I'm not buying hundreds of units in the U.S. Right. But I'm at a point now where I'm I'm starting to rethink the model of maybe I want to do a different structure. 
right? Yeah. So that's one of the things that I'm looking at. Okay, perfect. And um, you know, the, there was a I read this on your website in your recent newsletter that 2023 is going to be the year of the experience operator. And 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 that is, I couldn't agree with you more. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about that uh, because I think you know, especially in Ontario, uh, I'm not I can't speak too much about um, Alberta, um, but it's been like COVID accelerated a lot of things. You know, the yeah. rent growth. You didn't have to be a genius to make money in real estate. So tell us why this is so important now. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're using Ontario as an example, there hasn't been a major real estate correction there since 1996. 1989 to 1996 was the last time real estate really went down for any extended period. And now, I mean, it depends on where you're at. I'm not sure what city you're in, but I mean, some of the areas have seen like a 30% decline yeah. you know, in the last yeah. year. So yeah, having experience on your side is critical. I mean, having gone through those market cycles... Um, because as I, as I told you at the beginning, a couple of my deals, I just got lucky on. I, was, I sold into strong markets. I don't make those mistakes anymore, right? So I, for me, it's return of capital before return on capital. So that experience is really going to help me. And what has also helped me is when I, say, when I say it's the year of the experienced investor, I ran into problems with one of my JVs about a year ago. I was at the exit point and I wasn't quite you know, economic times were still tough. I had to go back and do a refinance, go back to my investors. And I reached out to someone who was more experienced than I was, someone who had like 30 years experience. So when you can tap into people that know more, they can give you really good advice to kind of steer you through tougher times. But I think, unfortunately, um, what you're going to see in the next two years, a lot of people that just started out in the last couple of years, there's a lot of these new coaches out there. Most of them are probably sadly not going to make it. It's just the reality. I think the more experienced people, they're going to continue to do well. You know, I mentioned I mentioned guys like Quentin that have been around a long time, have solid strategies in any kind of market. But I think it's not going to be easy for everyone. I mean, even even experienced investors are going to struggle too, but they're going to survive and they're going to thrive at the other end. But then again, it depends geographically where you're from. Like I talked to someone yesterday and they're like, yeah, it's like 30% down in values in a year. And I'm looking at my, my portfolio and it's like, hey, I'm finally starting to go up in value. Yeah, because right? I've just given two hundred dollar rent increases. Yeah, so it really depends on where geographically you are. So, if you'd have sold off all your assets a year ago in in, in uh, Ontario and BC, bought into Calgary, you know, six months ago, you would have made a, like a bandit, right? But who knows, right? Right. Yeah, I know, and it's uh one of those things that's like you can't always time the market, right? Everything hindsight's twenty twenty, but uh, you know, just um understanding those economic fundamentals and making your decisions based on uh strong underwriting and understanding, you know, like you said, the cyclical nature and the long term uh game that's involved in multifamily, especially in multifamily investing. Um, it's not like a it's not like a duplex where you can burr it in a year and you know just have it. It is a very sort of long term view. Um, and how you do things. So yeah, and 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 to your point, um, I mean, not to hate on any coach coaching programs out there, especially people who have been in the game for like the last five years who are coaching now. Um, but I definitely think that there is value in working with somebody who has been around longer because of this very reason um, and understanding how to get through multiple years with different types of challenges through different economic cycles. Because really, a lot of what we do is driven by economic cycles as well, right? 
Oh, well said. And, uh, you know, especially on Alberta, and I can honestly say now we have sickening cycles out there, but I know investors who've owned buildings there for 50 years and they've sailed through every market. I know people that have bought, mar- bought uh, at the highs and then lost their buildings due to over leverage. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you, Alberta, you do have to be more wary of the cycles than you would in Ontario say. Right. But I think, I think the strategies there are still sound. I think, you know, if we look at Edmonton, it's an area with a million people. I don't think we're going to see the crash that we just saw the oil crash going in. There is, you know, there is some political things going on there, as you know, there's, or maybe you don't know, there's an election coming up in Alberta in the spring. You know, it's, it's been an epic clash between the conservatives and the NDP. So that could change policies. But in general, I think, you know, I think oil prices are high. I don't think the oil is going away. And I think they've actually learned their lesson and they're starting to diversify more. You know, there's a big tech sector there. And especially in Saskatchewan, you know, where I'm from, it's, there's a lot of, um, you know, potash. It's the biggest potash supplier in the, in the world, essentially. You know, uranium, oil and gas, agriculture. And unfortunately, all these industries tanked at the same time in 2015, which is where I had my assets. But now everything is coming back at once and it's coming back strong, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and it's just price point. I mean, you're going to pay a lot, you know, like I said at the beginning, probably a third to a half the price as you would in Ontario or even where I'm in in Kelowna. If I was trying to buy a building here at Kamloops, 200, 250 a door minimum. I can still buy good quality assets in the low hundreds you know, in the Alberta yeah. region. Calgary is a little bit more, but um, I still think there's a lot of upside because our rents in, in Alberta, they're, they're still the lowest in the country. You can still move there and, you know, it's pay a thousand bucks for a one bedroom. Yeah, That yeah. doesn't exist anywhere in Canada now. Uh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So in, in um, like, uh, I wanted to touch a little bit uh, lastly on uh, your management, right? I know yeah. you're doing the asset management from, because your properties are located further away or tell us a little bit about the remote asset management uh, side of things. Yeah, that's probably the most challenging part of my business. And thankfully in Edmonton, I, I have a property manager who basically does everything. They are so critical to my business and a lot of people don't fully utilize their property manager. So they help me in the purchase. I just have to phone them up and say, okay, I want a rental survey for this area. So I know what the actual rents are. Yeah. So when I look at a, a building pro forma, it doesn't really mean as much to me because it could be under-rented. I need to know what I can rent the unit for. And then they tour the building with me and tell me how much I need to pay to, to get it up to the shape I need to rent it at those rents. And I've successfully renegotiated deals based on that alone. So the yeah, fact because that the, the I mean, surveys, obviously the broker is going to tell you something that yeah. uh, may not be realistic or they're just trying to push it a little bit further than maybe what the, uh, what their market, actual yeah. market can sustain. Yeah, super, know? super low expenses <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> deal for yeah. you today. But the other thing they do is uh, they'll do the complete burr for me. You know, I'll talk to them maybe once a month because they have access to the supply, the contractors, they can renovate a unit in a week, right? Because they do it in such volume. I used to be so hands-on with my day-to-day operations of my building. Now it's, I hand everything over to my property manager. And that has made my life so much easier. I rely on them so much. So not only do they do the surveys, they do like budgets every year. They're constantly doing, you know, rental market surveys to see what they can get for rent. You know, they're constantly reviewing my, my, my uh, expenses. I struggled going into Saskatoon when I moved to a secondary niche because I didn't have that level of support there. So I think this is a big mistake that investors make when they buy a multi in a, in a town that's away from where they live yeah. is trying to find a good manager. 
good property manager. And it's probably true everywhere, yes. right? Because some property management companies are, you know, they're good up to 200 units or 500 units or a thousand units. But when you get to a certain size, you know, it, it's tougher and management changes, right? They, they lose employees. I'm still struggling in Saskatoon. I mean, I've gone through three property managers and I still haven't found one that's, that's acceptable. So mm-hmm. management is, is huge. I, I can't say enough about it. It's Absolutely. like definitely my number one go-to person, 100%. And then what about the construction portion? The, that's also handled by the uh, property management company? Like, um, yeah. I'm assuming you're, like, what would be a typical, I know it would be kind of case by case, but on, a, on average, how much would you be spending per unit um, in, in terms of re- renovations? Yeah. So what I love about my property management, they're not actually inflating any of the costs. They're passing it on directly to me. They're just charging like an 8% project management fee to manage the contractors. And that works out amazing. But so on the, on the burr I did in Leduc, for example, we did really high end renovations. You know, we spent probably about 18 to 20,000 a unit, but we basically knocked, we knocked it. We um, shortened the hallway to make our two bedrooms bigger because we realized they were too small. We couldn't compete like we wanted to in the area. And we also extended the countertop. We opened up the kitchen and put in dishwashers. We put in dishwashers in all our units. We put in nice vinyl plank flooring. I never used to do that, Jose, to be honest. I used to only only do enough to get another warm body. I used to only do like a paint or whatever, the bare minimum. Now now I do the absolute maximum. Like if I get an opportunity, that's a a chance to gut a suite, do it right. Mm -hmm. Because my manager says, look, you get two, you get two increases from that. You get an immediate lift because of how nice it is. Then you're leading the market next year. When the market is strong, you're the first one to give another increase, right? You're not chasing your tail, trying to make your unit unit nicer. And I never Absolutely. used to do that, but that's now the strategy that I do. And it's worked. No, very and, well. and, and I mean, for us, that is the strategy that like, it's kind of, we have to do that in order yeah. for us to maximize. Cause uh, our, when we take over a building, our rents are so low to begin with. Yeah. That, and our purchase price is already so, so high. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. we we have to get like sometimes it's double from a thousand to two thousand in yeah. uh, rent, right? Um, but we're also spending yeah uh, like around twenty five thousand per unit um in in uh, renovations to make it look kind of like condo quality finishes, you know. Yeah, and a year ago it was probably fifteen thousand or whatever because of the supply chain issues, right? And everything has got more expensive now, and the, and the prices still haven't come down yet. <laughs> for fixtures and stuff, right? As, as you know, it's expensive. Yeah. So I know we talked about coaching a little bit before, and I just want to kind of t- recircle back to that. I know that you do offer some coaching as well. Um, the six pillars of multifamily accelerated mentorship program. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, awesome. For, so yeah, yeah, tell us a little bit about what inspired you to do that and um, what your mentorship looks like. Is it a one-on-one mentorship? Is it more like a mastermind? Um, and who is it that is you know who is your target sort of mentee? Like, what kind of an individual wants to join this type of program? Yeah. No. Great question. I, I had a lot of I had a lot of requests for coaching over the years, and I just I couldn't really fit it into my schedule, and I. I took on a couple of people one-on-one a few years ago and, you know, they became very successful. They listened to me and I, I wish I would have taken my own advice that I'd given them on a couple, couple of things. But anyway, it really, it really started because, you know, I'm a, I'm an active member of my rain space. I like to post on that forum. It's not so, it's not so popular anymore, but so many people were coming to Edmonton and buying in the wrong area based on bad advice. And then they would call me because my name was all over there. 
And I hear the same story all over again. I'm thinking, man, oh man, these were easily avoidable mistakes. You know, these people that were actually uber successful in single family, that all of a sudden were just struggling when they went to multifamily because of take because of poor advice. You know, just one overlooked item, as you know, is you know, a roof or a boiler can can kill you. You know, yep. mistakes are fatal. So I started to put together this program last year. I did it as a group coaching. So I would take on, you know, about 20 or 30 students at a time. So it was over an eight-week program. So we'd have weekly coaching calls uh, on a variety of topics related to multifamily. So I've since, I basically turned it into a self-study course now because people are, are just so busy. I mean, the price is really reasonable. And then I also support my students with, with private calls after that to get them going. And it's, it's fabulous. I really love working with, um, you know, other investors, which I call them partners now because now I get a, a sneak peek into their world, right? So they share their deals with me. What do you think? And I'm actually looking at the actually J JVing with a couple of my students, um, you know, there, there's a misconception that there's a scarcity. You know, there's too much competition in multifamily. I can't find a building. And that's unequivocally untrue, you know, in yeah. my case, because as, as, as you know, there's an abundance of products. There's, there's 2 million apartment units in this country. You know, every single one of them is for sale, right? right? <laughs> there's a variety of sources. But no, it's, it's spun onto a one-on-one. -on -one, so it's available on demand. You just have to go to my website. You can find it on altinequities.com. There's a link on it for that. As well, you can just set up a call and, and talk to me about it. I'm happy to, happy to chat about it. But my students are having incredible success. Like one guy, he's already on his third apartment building. So it's kind of kicking me into high gear to get back out there and invest again. Nice. So I'm oh, kind of cool. taking some time away. I, I still want to do these podcasts. I really enjoy doing this. I love connecting with other like-minded investors. But at the end of the day, I got to go out there and do deals. Right? That's yeah. what I'm all about. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's that's the driver, right? That's the the spark that 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 lights the fire is getting those deals done. Absolutely. So, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> um yeah, so I mean, um before we sort of come to a wrap here, uh just maybe talk to us a little bit about what your goals are over the next 3 to 5 years where you see yourself going. Um what's next? I mean, you already ha have attained all the success. You've got these apartments and you know, you say you want more, but um I think it's, yeah. W what is it that you're looking to attain now? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go into a, a massive, like, you know, Western wealth capital model or something where I'm going to buy, you know, 10,000 units in the States. Cause honestly, I don't want to work 80 hours a week. Right. Like yeah. I want to go do my skiing. I, you know, my kids are getting older now. I want to enjoy my time with them. I think probably in the next couple of years, I'll continue to do what I'm doing now. I'd like to pick up a hundred, hundred units this year. And I think that's, that's achievable. I mean, I have a lot of deals come across my desk and that's one of the benefits of, you know, once you become known as a closer, right. And right. you do a lot of uh, deals, then you get first dibs on what's out there. Right. Yeah. So I have a lot of opportunities. I'm going to continue with that. I'm going to keep going with the mentorship because I, I really like giving back, helping other people. You know, I've, I've been tremendously successful because of people, you know, reaching out, you know, offering me advice when I needed it. And I made a ton of mistakes, let me tell you, but it would have been a lot worse had I not reached out to them. But yeah, so, you know, I'm going to keep picking up buildings. I'm going to keep doing mentorship. Um, I may end up launching a fund, you know, next year, the year after I may end up doing an LPGP, maybe a REIT. I know some of my colleagues in Ontario, I know Mark Balthazar and uh, Mike Rockwell are doing that now. Yes. So, you know, that might be a model I might look at down the road, but I'm not putting a lot of pressure on myself. I want to you know, smell the roses along the way. 
Oh, absolutely. Enjoy yeah. my kids while I still have them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experiences with us. Um, I know you mentioned your website. So is that the best way that people should reach you? We'll definitely put it in our show notes. Yeah, altonequities.com. And I'll, like, I'll send you a link to my email too. It's just cspurley at adultinequities.com. Yep. Best way to reach me is email. You know, I get a lot of people messaging me, asking me questions. And that's probably the best way. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and, you know, just Corey Spurley. And my, my YouTube show is called The Naked Truth of Multifamily Investing. So you can just search for my name on YouTube and find me there. So oh, it's, it's not, it's not naked, literally naked. It's like the naked <laughs> truth, not <laughs> I guess kind of. <laughs> uh, awesome. We'll definitely link that. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch, definitely hit up Corey. Uh, I think if you're thinking about the West Coast, which we are too, um, I think it's definitely worth looking into the market, uh, especially if you feel tapped out in Ontario or you just want to learn about a different market that has different advantages for sure. So I uh, definitely think Corey Corey's the guy to go to if you're thinking about that. So thanks again, Corey, for coming on the show, giving us your time. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely link everything in our show notes. I'll have to get you guys on my show now too to learn yeah, all about what you're no, doing. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again, Corey. All right. Thank you. Take care. And thank you again for your time. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.